Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Classic chocolate cake with a layer of jam in the middle. What the hell are you talking about? It's Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Statman Rave. It's actually a copyrighted idea, Adam. Um, Chris Pennage. Appendage. Mm-hmm. Chris Appendage, yeah. Yes. And Lawrence... McKenna. What a comedy name. Oh, we got there. We got there in the end. Uh, guys. And Adam Boltwood. <laughs> Boltwood. There is actually a Twitter account out there, Adam Boltwood. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they deleted it when they found out there was no value in the account. <laughs> yeah, there's no followers coming to that one. That's all you can see from the start. Uh, guys, welcome to the Front Free Q&A podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us. We are going to be answering your questions, as always, in part two. Before that, though, we have to talk the midweek action and some of the news in the world of football. But before even that, it's comment of the week time, guys. Have you got a jingle for Hole of the Week, Lawrence? Hole of the Week! That's not from Copper 90. Have a good. <laughs> Have a good, ladies and gentlemen. Love Have it. a spice. Now, sad news. Um, I can't actually access the podcast reviews at the moment. The uh, service that I was using to access the reviews from around the world has broken. So the whole of the week this week is going to be a Twitter comment um, from Nathan at TT Tactics. He said, been listening to the front free since at Flav Bateman was on as a guest. The latest episode is very good, especially the intro on BBC Pundits and Liverpool. Nathan, thank you for your kind words. Thank you for listening. I'm glad that you've now joined us. Uh, are we almost two years into this now? Two years, guys. Wow. Wow. Um, if you've been here from the start, good on you. I love you. Let's... Shout out to my day ones. Shout out to the day oneers. Yeah. You can go back. There's a lot of episodes to listen to, Nathan. I mean, feel free to go all the way back. You know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Uh, also, valuable advertising to us now. <laughs> very true. Uh, let's talk the midweek action then, guys. Uh, first up, Manchester City hammering West Ham United 4-0. Obviously, one man was the star of the show, has to be said. Um, we've probably all heard enough Jesus puns already, so I won't resurrect them here. 
but Davey has been something of a godsend, if you will, for Manchester City, um, held by some as a saviour for Pep Guardiola. Uh, his performance last night was, was heavenly in many ways. You know, he showed pace, he showed power. He nailed that cross for Kevin De Bruyne, of course, as well as getting himself on the score sheet. Of course, we shouldn't expect miracles, Dave, but is this kid the real deal? I think he's starting to become the real deal at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. Wow. I think he plays wow. a very, very nice role um, in this side. Something that Aguero, quite frankly, can't really do in a way. Gabriel Jesus can play as a false nine. Aguero isn't really a false nine. And that's why Jesus has looked so good in this side. Because this side is, is sort of geared to having a player that's dropping a little bit deeper into midfield and allowing players to run past him. A la Silva, a la De Bruyne. But I, do, I, don't, I don't think Silva, sorry, I don't think Jesus demands all the credit. Because, um, you know, the two other young players that flank him, Sterling and Sane, have been brilliant in the last two games. Both of them have been fantastic. And I like how they all come together. They just look so good. It works. Are you saying that Aguero is not the Messiah? Oh, I, I am, Lawrence. We're all, uh, we're all getting out our inner, inner tabloid hack here right now. Um, yes. That front three, great podcast, Dave. You're right. A young, promising lineup. Uh, Jesus, as you said, I believe he is, is he 20 now? 19, maybe? Um, Leroy Sané is 21 and of course Raheem Sterling is 23 so a lot of potential for a number of years Chris um, as Dave's saying there obviously Aguero started on the bench he did make a cameo but Jesus doing certain things Aguero can't a lot of people saying this is the beginning of the end for Aguero Chris it's a difficult one I mean he's 28 he's had a massive influence on the club I think Dave makes a valid point about the false nine element you know the fact he can assist he put on a beautiful pass last night I think for Sane, maybe Silva, that was that was in behind the fullback. It, it is. It's that idea that a club of city size or with their ambitions can't stand still. They have to keep growing, keep evolving. And it's difficult when you have such an attachment and it's someone that's been so central to the new era of City as Aguero. I think long term, you may see him slowly phased out, though. Well, yeah, but... Oh. I, th- I think it's, it's that transition. I just think you can have options. And just because a more senior striker or someone who's perceived to be a more senior striker sitting on the bench and then comes on as a substitute and then is it set and then there's direct quotes from Pep Guardiola saying, I think they can probably play together. Yeah, of course um, he's going to say that. Though, do you know what I mean, I think we've seen this season that there are certain things Aguero doesn't do that Guardiola wants his attackers to, to be able to accomplish. Some like, goals this year. Of course, but I mean, Jesus. Jesus himself has been involved in three goals in his first three games. You know, stats. Right, it? Um, <laughs> uh, the question, though, is, Lawrence, regardless of whether this is the beginning of the end for Aguero, regardless of whether they can play together, are Man City still in this title race? Asked Mike. Now they have company and Jesus. Seems a talent to behold. Will they catch Chelsea? And can they overtake Liverpool? What do you reckon, Lawrence? As long as you've got Jesus, you've always got company. I, uh, I think... <laughs> I mean, they're both on the same, both same number of games, same number of points. I mean, you'd say that any of the teams who are immediately ahead of Man City are catchable because they're only one point ahead, um, but they're only 10 points behind uh, Chelsea. I mean, it, it, you'd say that 10 points is an insurmountable lead, even at this point in the season, right? I wouldn't say insurmountable, but um, it's becoming that way. I think, you know... It's, it's, it's if, looking tricky because obviously yeah. Chelsea play Arsenal next. The likelihood is... But, you know, uh, I mean, you never, I, know. Way one you never side, know of us. I, 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 I outweigh one side's pegging the other back. 
Um, and then Chelsea have what you perceive as quite a simple run of games all, all the way until, uh, I'd say, April 5th against Man City. Um, then they play United, Everton in April, and then they finish the season on a relatively simple run, while all other sides, from what I can see, have got a much harder run than Chelsea have got at this point in the season. Mm. It is getting tight, but very tight, um, especially between second place and fifth, as you say. Uh, Spurs on 47, Arsenal on 47, Liverpool and Man City on 46. One team who are falling a little bit behind, though, Dave, uh, four points adrift to Man City in sixth, are Manchester United. Um, not a great result for them last night. A nil, nil draw at home to Hull. Millers. Uh, I mean, they're on an unbeaten run, um, but... They have the least wins in the top six, the most draws in the top six, the lowest goal difference in the top six, and the least goals scored in the top six. That lack of a clinical edge in front of goal is hurting them, isn't it, Dave? Excuse me, Adam. We're actually champions of the division of the draw league of the Premier League. We have the Very most true. draws in the Premier League Very of any true. club, um, and not just the top six of everybody. We are champions. But it was another poor performance for Manchester United. Another performance that lacked clinical fish, finishing, that lacked elite finishing that really was their own fault for, for the loss. They created two massive chances, the one-matter chance that he missed from about three yards and Paul Pogba one-on-one one. again. not Just putting it too close to the goalkeeper, not putting it into the corners. Very, very poor from both Pogba and Mata in front of goal. Zlatan was poor. I don't think anyone played that well Good. apart from Ander Herrera. Ander Herrera was the only guy that, again, looks like he gives a, a shit about United at the moment. It just seems to be that when these games come around and... It's just frustrating. Seems like Ander Herrera is the only guy that's tracking back, winning the ball back, playing it forward, receiving it again, playing across into the box. Then the ball chant. Then you no, know, it's one of those things. He's the only one that looks busy in these games. Mkhitaryan was absolute garbage. Why Martial wasn't even on the bench? I don't even. Well, why he wasn't brought on? So I don't even know. Um, and something it was going, there's something weird going on there, is there? Because he obviously started or featured in midweek. Um, as we said, a poor first half, but much improved in the second half, provided uh, assists, key assists. Why is he not featuring in this sort of game? I don't know. You know, I would have brought him on 100%. I think the, the uh, substitution to bring on Wayne Rooney for Carrick at half-time made sense, switched the system up. Um, Martial, sorry, uh, Mata for Mkhitaryan made sense. Um, and unfortunately, the sort of the other, the last substitution was used before to bring on Jones. So maybe you've got to look at that leaving Mkhitaryan on, even though he had a really poor game and trying to bring on Mata for Rashford, who was good and bad, you know, it was frustrating, didn't really tie his fullback up. It was just a really frustrating night for Manchester United because they just didn't play anywhere near where they could do. And again, poor, poor finishing. And Hull also poor finishing though, didn't they, Dave? Yeah, it's a fair point. Abiel Hernandez, a lofted over, clean through on goal, absolutely choked uh, Markovic hitting the post. I think what you've got to give credit to is uh, Marco Silva. You know, he's played United three times in the last um, you know, month. One draw, one win, uh, one defeat. I think that's a very good record against Mourinho. And they're starting to look like a, a decent team. But Nias should have been sent off. You know, three challenges that were shocking. That all deserved the other card. But unfortunately, the referee only booked him once. So, it, again, it's sort of this whole referees aren't giving United any favours. But United don't deserve the favours at the moment. Dave, why is Mourinho such a fucking voyeur? I love that he gets in your skin, Lawrence. Uh, under it, no. sorry. It was brilliant. He um, can under it. 
Yeah, I'm all not, around it. Not sure he's under Maskin Dave. I was just wondering why why he's what? so obsessed with other people's managers and not. Yeah, yeah. You see, he's already got to you, Lawrence. He's already in your head, and he's already in all those Liverpool players' head, and he's in Jurgen Klopp's head, even though they're not even playing Manchester United. And as yeah. someone that's challenging us for that last Champions League spot along with Manchester City, it's brilliant. So you're saying that you're just drinking the Kool Aid. Lawrence, we're coming sixth and we're going to win the Europa League, the FA Cup and the League Cup. And it's going to be fine. Okay? Right. You can take the fourth position. But sorry, so are you saying you're for a red, white and blue Brexit? Exactly, Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence, you've obviously got some thoughts on this. I mean, what do you make of it all? Because we've got a question here from Gibbs at Ryan Gibson995, who says, does Klopp get treated differently by officials in comparison to other top-level managers? This springs from, in case you missed it, Mourinho mentioning post-game last night that he feels like he gets treated differently to other managers. This is, seems to be his perception, he said in a post-game interview. Of course, we had Jurgen Klopp come out uh, the night before uh, to talk about how a fourth official said he loved his passion on the sidelines. Passion is one word for it, I guess. Um, what do you make of this, Lawrence? Is this just more silliness from Jose Mourinho? Um, I mean, I don't really I don't really know why we buy into it. Um, but some Are we just falling for the trap? We're talking about it? This is what he wants us to talk about? He doesn't want us to talk about I mean, the I mean, poor it's... performance, the, the lack of wins? Well, the fact is we can cover both. I mean, it, it shows that Mourinho is under pressure to some extent. Um I think it shows that he doesn't have answers at the moment for questions like that. I also, I think it shows us something. I mean, there are big, big wide theories that legally we are not allowed to talk about on this podcast, um, which is why it also, it, like, it's why it irks me a little bit because I am actually on Jose Mourinho's side when it comes down to this. Um, but on the, on a wider scale, and I think in time we'll see Jose Mourinho vindicated in what he's doing right now. And I think there's a reason he's barbing at Klopp. And I think there's a reason why he gets at certain other managers. And I think that'll become clear when all those managers have retired or in years to come, we'll find out why. Um, but I also think it's sort of... Um, it, I, I'm saying he's right, but I think he's going about it wrong. That's a, It's just a theory. But I think... Uh, well, how should you go right about it I think Mourinho should just uh, he he needs to take the high the higher moral ground where he thought he sat before and where he alluded to sitting, um, and he doesn't seem to sit there anymore. I think his reputation precedes him in many ways, but I think he's right to the extent that what is sometimes construed as Jurgen Klopp's passion that everyone loves to see on the touchline is actually uh, is 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 approaching the line, you know. I pretty, although I, I also I also think I also think if that was the referee, then we'd have seen a very different um, situation. I also think uh, Mourinho wants to be the exception to the rule rather than uh, part of the rule, and he can't can no longer be the exception to the rule because he was an exception to the rule for such a long time. And the bigger problem for Mourinho now is you can't stab people in the eye, you can't get at people, you can't undermine referees, that you can't do all these things. And then expect to remain above the law. And I think what he's what he's trying to do is divert from his own mistakes, um, and he's trying to bring other people down to whatever level it is that he thinks he's on. Do you think there is a diversion from Mourinho's mistakes, Dave? I mean, people are talking about how United fans need to get real. You know, this is the the real level Manchester United are at. Ross Hayburn saying <laughs> Manchester United potentially out of the top four, but since when did the season end in February? <laughs> 
everyone's uh, proclaiming yeah. their, their European yeah. qualification chances over. As I um, mentioned on, on the game of two halves that Lawrence very well refereed, Man United have the best squad in the Premier League, not in terms of the, the quality, in oh, terms yeah. of the depth. And they're the only team that are left in four, tour, four competitions in the Premier League. So they've still got things to play for. And honestly, I think that they're going to finish sixth. I just they, think being, that, being in the Premier League doesn't mean you're still in the competition. It just means well, you're in there well, by doing Lawrence, Lawrence, can Manchester United mathematically win the Premier League? Yes, Dave, but you and I Excellent. both know. Can, can Chelsea, can Chelsea mathematically get relegated? David, David no, O'Brien... David O'Brien, the Sean Spicer of the front three. <laughs> David O'Brien, if Manchester United do indeed finish sixth, as you're predicting, what does that mean for Jose Mourinho and how will that reflect his first season in charge? Because obviously Julian van Gaal was, was sacked for failing to finish in that top four. But I, I, I think that United will do well in these cup competitions. They've got to beat a Southampton team that's just lost Virgil van Dijk in the League Cup. Um, the FA Cup, Blackburn to get to the next round. The momentum's built from that League Cup win in terms of cup competitions. Then the Europa League comes back. United may realise that they not they can't get into the top four. They focus on that. They win the Europa League. That's what I feel the United season is going to go. I feel like there's too many times this season where United where United's um, opponents for the top four or for those two spaces have dropped points, and United just haven't done a thing. That's where the draws against Burnley come, the draws against Hull come. And that, unfortunately, is what's happened to United season, is when the pressures come, when they've got to turn over games, they've got to just win the game against the side that they should be beating. They don't. And that's kind of the issue for United this season, is they, they do lack, they lack a goal scorer that's not as that time. They lack goals from around the park, which they're not getting. And unfortunately, that is going to cost them. Mm. Uh, it's going to cost Manchester United. What about Arsenal, Chris? Are these sort of results going to cost them. They lost 2-1 at home to Watford. Um, seemed to delight in going Watford, behind mate, and, and desperately Watford, trying to <laughs> desperately trying to claw back a result. Um, I'm almost bored of talking about Arsenal uh, at this point. Um, shut up. Shut up. It was a bad night I'm for Arsenal. I'm not in that role. fucking mood for this tonight, yeah? Bad night for Arsenal. Great night for Arsenal fan TV, though. Um, <laughs> 1.6 million views uh, post the Watford defeat. Um more than double views the views contributors. than the win over Burnley just a few weeks previously in the Premier League. Uh, Viral Rayaguru on Twitter said, why is Arsenal Fan TV so great to watch, Chris? You're my favourite bad guy in Batman. Um, I, I think I think we've talked about this before, so I'll keep it brief. There was a an Optus study that looked at Mourinho, Benitez, Wenger over 10 years. And Wenger had the lowest, let me articulate this probably, passes from opposition before a defensive action was made. And I think something that that gives way to is the idea that they're not proactive enough, Arsenal. They're not intense, especially at home. They're more than happy and comfortable to maybe sit back a little bit. Not sit deep, but sit back and allow the team they're facing to have possession. And I think you can't be that idle if you're going to win a title, you have to be willing to take control of a game. And 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 for me, watching them against Watford, they were undone by speed, but also then intense pressure put on them by their opponent, which, again, Watford haven't been a great side this season. <clears throat> but you look at Niang, who comes in with, with very little prep time 
and he does. He looks like one of the best players on the park. And I think part of that is because of how Arsenal performed. It w- wasn't good enough. And I think <clears throat> you can blame Arsene Wenger all you like. I think there's much deeper rooted issues there um, that realistically may take a little bit longer to fix than just swapping the manager out. <laughs> well, this DT's is the thing. This got, is... I mean, deep-rooted, deep mate. <laughs> but this is why we get people like DT, people like Troops, uh, orchestrating chants of Wenger out, Wenger out on the channel and why they do so many views. Everyone loves to see an Arsenal fan melt down. That's why the channel is so popular with opposition fans after a game. Um, interestingly enough, though, Lawrence, amid all this acrimony and displeasure from the fans, um, Mira journalist John Cross, unsurprisingly, uh, media lovey John Cross, as I believe he's referenced on Arsenal Fan TV, he's got an article on the Mirror today uh, claiming that the Arsenal top brass are baffled by anger of fans who have never had it so good. Uh, club chiefs are apparently privately mystified by the abuse aimed at Arsene Wenger when they are third in the league above the likes of Mourinho and Guardiola. They're still in Europe and they have two world-class players in the side. Yeah. I mean, I can you can sort of see the point. I mean, I wish that John Cross hadn't made it, um, but it still it still sort of stands to reason that um, oh, they expect better. I don't necessarily agree with the narrative that everyone's painting at the moment. I can't. I agree with Chris's analysis, but at the same time, there are elements that I disagree with about Arsenal analysis overall. I think there are times where Wenger does ask his side to become more passive and soak up elements of pressure so that they can get the other team into a certain position. I don't think, I think they were a much more aggressive side before. And so our perception of them is that they are, they should always be aggressive. And the perception is also that if you're not an aggressive team or you're not a predominantly proactive side, then maybe you aren't um, the more dominant team. And, you know, Wenger's side maybe doesn't always prove that. I think, you know, a Mourinho team, which is more reaction maybe than, pro-action in a lot of games or in some uh, Mourinho iterations um, gets around that and they've proven that they can be champions from being reactive footballers Um, I think I don't know if I agree the problem for me would be I don't necessarily agree with the narrative of you know uh, the fans melting down after every single loss which is you know just a massive cliche right now at the same time I don't really agree with what John Cross is saying he's sort of uh, telling the fans you know don't have a meltdown step back look at the bigger picture and we said time and time again on this podcast the bigger picture is Arsenal underachieving for over 10 years now almost 15 years you know it's the same old same old Uh, they never seem to learn their lessons they always have this this weak mentality as Arsene Wenger always puts it and did a Again, after this latest defeat, I don't think he said it was a weak man. Did he say it was weak? I think he talked about the mentality wasn't right. Um, yeah, I'm I paraphrasing slightly. Right, yeah, I mean, weak and not right though are two very big things. But the problem for me would be that this is one of the best Arsenal sides of those last 15 years. They have got those two world class players in there. I mean, Alexis Sanchez almost single single handedly got him back into that game against Watford. Where are they going to be, though, without someone like him? We're talking about the contract talks that are going on, the, the problems they've got tying him down to a new contract. I mean, Dave, if they don't have Sanchez next season, uh, this team are not only going to be underachieving, but they could be in real trouble. But then again, that's the great thing that Arsene Wenger's done at that football club. It, what, again, is quite frustrating is that it's all... As soon as it goes wrong for Wenger, it opens up to, ah, these 15 years of us not winning a trophy, or these 15 years of us underachieving... We forget that we had like Sir Alex Ferguson in the league there that was absolutely dominating 
then there's a spell now, you know, the last three years, potentially you could say that's where Wenger potentially should have stepped up, used the experience and gone. In terms of Arsenal losing their stars, it's happened before. You know, RVP was probably one of the biggest ones that went internally within the league that could happen with Sanchez, you know, with Manchester City looking at it. I don't think it, I think they'll recover. I think they'll be fine. That's classic but Arsenal. Isn't that the point? It's the same thing again. They, they didn't tie their major stars down to a contract and they're going to lose them again. There is an issue, but Arsenal will go on. It's just, it's an interesting one in terms of like, for example, I imagine if you'd asked the lads on Arsenal fan TV before, what do you think of Arsenal's team selection tonight? Playing Olivier Giroud up front, putting another striker on the pitch, having Sanchez in there and so forth. They probably would have gone, yeah, it looks too bad. It doesn't look too bad. I've, I've got to object there. They definitely didn't. I, I will give them a lot of stick, but to be fair to Anoditi in particular, in his vlog thing that he does, he actually said the opposite. He said he wasn't happy with the team selection. Again, one that's one one factor. No, I know, but he, he's a prominent example. Like again, I'm all for lampooning when they do stuff stupid. I think you also need to be fair and give balance and say he did actually question the team selection big style. And and in fairness, some of the reasons he gave last night made a lot of sense with hindsight. I also think well, that DT these guys have been to DT. these guys have been. Channels. Well, I mean, they have also been elevated to a point. They've been given almost posts of celebrity. They're self-appointed celebrities, these guys. What does DT stand for? Um, don't Design touch. Technology. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so seriously, like, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I, it's one of those things where I, I really... I'm all for evaluating what is said on those platforms, but I think you have to be fair in the way that you do that, and you can't just ignore when valid points are made, otherwise that just makes you, uh, I would say, obnoxious, potentially quite, uh, what's the word, patronising towards the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I, Arsenal Fan TV has got a reputation, though, of not being the place where fans have a, a cogent and well-structured argument or uh, opinion on their team and football in general. It just mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the place. That's maybe a harsh... Uh, blanket assessment of the entire channel. And I've got a lot of time for Robbie and a, a lot of respect for, for what he's built there. But um, occasionally it does feel like a bit of a circus. I, I think it's, I think it's, it, it's it, the problem is it's got the ability to be both. Um, you know, it's uh, very often you'll find the fool is making a good point as well, or they can make, uh, the, there's no reason why someone who, you know, is a lot of the time made fun of cannot make a good point point every now and again um but i yeah, think I mean, it's, it's few industry, and far between in that sense look at the industry in general though. we we know that not necessarily the the most insightful uh, sources produce the most views when when it starts to go wrong for arsenal people aren't clamoring to watch arsenal fan tv because they think they're going to get uh, a filtered insight on what went wrong they do it for the comedy value and and again not a not a, a dig at Robbie. I've got a lot of time for the guy, and I admire that he's giving those people a voice. the The thing is, though, is that again, it does feel a little bit like an echo chamber at times when you listen to it. Well, it also feels a little bit like I, I guess I guess the problem is, and you know, that there's a really good point to be made that they haven't won anything in a while, um, I, anything of any significance. You know, Dave will tell you the, the FA Cup's Mickey Mouse. Um, and that, you know, just because your team's in it doesn't mean you're in any significant competition. And I think 
with the same with Arsenal, it's it's the same as creating a fan channel where people eat caviar and then say, but it's not quite as good as these other three people's caviar. You've sort of got sympathy for them, but they're still eating caviar. But has the caviar gone rotten or something? No, mate. Because no, there's, no, there's still nothing. Good. It's still good. Yeah, the caviar's still fine. I think we've you said know. it before. I think the problem is the the lack of a, even a sense of progress. You know, comparing it to Spurs, which is easy, but um, you can see Spurs are going in the right direction. Um, we've sacked enough managers to make it seem like there is progress, or at least a series of full storms with Arsenal, which is the same every season. I think there is that long standing resentment that's been building and building and comes out every season and results in videos that we see on Arsenal Fan TV and this sort of animosity, really. Yeah, I mean, there's an irony that a lot of Arsenal fans are just very easily triggered. Triggered, indeed. Um, let's Give talk it about Tony P to the end of the season. We've Simple. got to talk about. Uh, then you'll miss Venk. Potentially the biggest game. Uh, <laughs> Big Sam at, at the Emirates would be beautiful. Oh dear, don't. Um, we've got to talk about potentially the biggest game midweek. Um, at least it was built that way beforehand. Chelsea, of course, taking on Liverpool at Anfield. Lawrence, uh, a one-all draw in the end. It was a game that you felt Liverpool had to win based on where they are in the title race at this current time, but they didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could look at it in a number of ways. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Liverpool had to win to uh, remain in some way relevant and not sort of 10 points behind Chelsea at this point. And they didn't. They obviously drew with them, which kept them at the same um, distance. But at the same time, I think Liverpool have had probably one of the worst Januaries they've had in a while, uh, performance-wise and result-wise. Um, I don't even really mean that in terms of going out of competitions. I just mean the actual result and sort of the feeling around those results has been very difficult for Liverpool fans to take. I think with the amount of positivity, um, there, there was an air of resignation around Liverpool and around um, Anfield that the season was sort of already over in a sense. I think a lot of people losing sight of the bigger picture that Liverpool haven't and still need to build a foothold in the league, a foothold in the league, and they still haven't done that. Um, and I think that's you know, it's difficult to do that at this stage because there are so many strong sides. So even finishing in the top four of the season, I think, would be regarded as a success for Liverpool, at least mentally, even if it doesn't feel that way um, from outside the club. I think, you know, people are still saying we still see the progress, um, despite the sort of lack of tangibility in January. Um, having said that, they're facing a team who are on a pretty decent role at the top of the league and are currently on quite a cruise sort of cru a cruising route to the title at this stage um so to draw one all with them is i think is actually quite an achievement for this liverpool team that are on terrible run of form especially seeing the gifted penalty um in the final stages of the game um yeah i mean i'm great for Mignolet, but i mean you know penalties are just a uh, pure chance so you know uh, yeah it could have gone it was a you know it's better than 50 50 for chelsea Trying to be Pep says on Twitter, with Sadio Mane back, can he help Liverpool break their poor run of form, Lawrence? I think he brings energy and movement in the right area for Liverpool, which is, as David sort of said on this podcast before, and as we've highlighted time after time, movement uh, between the lines and sort of splitting defenders and splitting players out on the pitch, which then leaves space elsewhere because it sort of drags players out of position, which then other players can take advantage of. Um I mean, it'll, it'll improve Liverpool in a way, but I still think it doesn't fix some of the fundamentals. Um, and I think Sadio Mane is being used in the media as a paper over cracks, sort of. We don't quite know why Liverpool aren't doing great. Mm. 
they and I think people were too quick to heap praise on Liverpool, and now they're too quick to sort of try and flip it. <laughs> they've got an interesting, uh, interesting run coming up. They've got Hull away, uh, Spurs <laughs> at home, Leicester away, <laughs> and then in March, Liverpool at home, Burnley at home, and Manchester City away. Um, Liverpool playing Liverpool. What did I say? Liverpool at home. Oh, Liverpool playing Burnley at home. Um, yeah, so an interesting one. Be interested to see how they get on there. As for Chelsea, Dave, I mean, uh, Lawrence says they're cruising to the title. They seem to be on cruise control almost during that game. Did what they needed to do, and uh, the march continues. Yeah, and they're very, very good defensively. Um, Liverpool did dominate the game with the ball. They were 80-something percent possession for the majority of the game. But Chelsea did what Chelsea have done very well this season, the organised and counter-attack. And if they'd taken that penalty, it would have been a big game. And kind of, I liked what uh, Conte did when Liverpool were really starting to push, when Liverpool started to create chances sort of the last 10 minutes of the game, they switched to a 3-5-2. Fabregas came on, it was perfect from Conte. Um, and Gullo Conte had been tackling absolutely everyone, moved to defensive midfield, and there was a midfield three there, and it was beautiful. Saw the game out, and, and Chelsea got a, a massive point in the title race, considering what their title rides have done um, over the midweek fixtures. Big point for Chelsea. And Golo Kante, I mean, you mentioned there, Dave, nominee for, for player of the season. During that game, he made 16 tackles, winning 14 of them. That was four times as many than any other player on the pitch. Adam, it was, in fact, one less than the entire Liverpool team managed combined. Wow. Wowee. Stats like that, Dave. Um, I believe he's made more... I believe he's made the most tackles in the past three seasons in the Premier League, despite yeah, of having only been in... played in two yeah. of them. Yeah. Dave, Dave is, that, is, that, is, that, is that true then that essentially what you're saying is, Dave, Angolo Kante cost Liverpool chances in the same way that that goalkeeper had good performances against United cost Manchester United points? Um, I think it's a slightly different point, but quite an interesting point. What is the effect of a defensive midfielder on blocking chances? Analysis piece number 75. Obviously, uh, we're waiting for funding to start these analysis pieces, but you know things like weather affecting fixtures, rainy nights in Stoke. We're going to analyse all this, the, um, the amount of noise in a stadium. So make sure you donate kindly so we can start these pieces. But no, <laughs> who, I are you, do who think, are you pitching uh, to, Dave? Is this like a Kickstarter? Everybody, this, right, right, okay, nice. this is send Dave O'Brien money to his house and he can do these <laughs> crazy pieces of analysis. It's pretty for his in, terms of, in terms of Kante, I think if you look at his points, since Kante uh, joined the Premier League, He's won more points. He's won more um, games than any other Premier League side. So if there was a league table, Angulo Kante would be winning it at the moment. Wait, what? Yeah. Rephrase that, right? So I'm going to cut your funding. <laughs> You're saying that Angulo Kante has won, any, uh, won more points, points than any other Premier League side since right. joining the Premier League. I like him, mate. I'm not going to argue. Do you not um, want to know about the rain down at Stoke, whether that's a, a myth or a fact, Lawrence? Does that not interest you? Let's do the myth buster. Uh, I sense the front three series coming up. The, the Klopp's Liverpool play better football when the cop are above 35 decibels. Do you not want to... It's impossible to measure those, uh, those sort of factors, though, isn't it? Especially the crowd not, noise one. It's impossible. Not if you all post one pound through Dave's letterbox and uh, exactly. fund. We need, <laughs> we need quite a few of Dave's you to turn up. Not a pound. <laughs> be bigger than a pound. <laughs> <laughs> It'll uh, weigh a pound. Guys, uh, we should also mention uh, midweek in the Premier League. Uh, Stoke City, of course, drew one all with Everton. But, of course, the headlines were taken by one man. 
one man only, Peter Crouch, scoring his 100th Premier League goal, uh, and he did the robot. So that was nice, Lawrence. But what was, Adam, but what was the weather like? That's, I mean, it's a good point. Did that affect how he scored his 100th goal? I don't know. And we won't know until you fund Dave's project. What's the name of your project, Dave? Uh, analyze Football. I love it. It does what it says on the tin. Get your donations in now. You can't do it on the internet. You have to do it physically through Dave's letterbox. First off, you have to just try and find out where he lives. Just guess. Uh, where, whereabouts, Dave? What, what's the general vicinity? I like East London. Go and pop one pound into <laughs> yeah, really a, just go and pop one pound into a letterbox in East London. It might be David, might not, but you're giving someone a nice surprise. You know, you're giving them a little something nice. I like. If it. I found a pound on the floor or a few pounds posted on the floor, I'd be so freaked out. Every pound now that I find on the floor, I'm going to post through someone's letterbox. That is from now on. I like the idea of it. People get a nice surprise. Like, hang on, you know, did I drop this? Did someone post it? You know, good Samaritan. I don't need the acclaim. I don't need the. I don't Hold on, whose hand is that? It's stuck in my letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck. Back. He's trying to back. steal back. Yeah. He's trying to steal a quid from the front door. He's trying to get change. <laughs> it I'm could sorry, backfire horribly. Yes. I, I but, need um, nine pounds back. It could backfire if horribly. If I didn't live with an absolute nutter, I would definitely try and do it through his letterbox next time I was down in London. Oh, dear. Um, Guys, we don't recommend you, you do it necessarily. We're just saying, you know, uh, that we... I'm definitely doing it. I'm we're doing absolutely it recommending that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we are. Um, Lawrence, give me some nice words about Peter Crouch, former Liverpool Spurs striker. He's a league legend. I mean, you know, uh, it been prolific and... Uh, I, th- I think very scary for a lot of defences throughout the league for some time now, not only um, in the way that he scores goals, uh, but also just in the, the sense that he poses um, actually quite a conventional threat um, that a lot of people seem to overlook on a regular basis because just because physically he doesn't look the same as everyone else. I think a lot of astute managers have seen this down the years and used him to the best of his ability, which is not only through height, also through a fantastical, fantastic technical ability, which he brings to a team, and also how he brings other players into play. Um, I think I, I like him as a lone striker, um, and I think that was I think that was probably when he was at his most deadly in the league. But he's been very effective, sort of alongside um, maybe someone a little bit smaller, obviously, than Peter Crouch. But Lawrence, more importantly, though, there was a, a southern wind of 19 miles an hour. And that, in fact, no, made the robot easier to execute. Are people putting money on your letterbox already, Dave? Even though we're, I'm going? hearing a southern wind. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you guess, Dave, what percentage, um, considering he scored 100 goals, uh, what percentage of Peter Crouch's goals were headed goals in the Premier League? Uh, 24%. 48. Bloody hell! Almost half, if, you're, uh, if you can do your maths. Um he uh, is actually one of the slowest players as well to reach 100 goals. It took him 419 games compared to the fastest, Alan Shearer, who took 124 games. So um, fair play to him. He's been around a long time, uh, a fantastic player, fantastic guy. So uh, congratulations to Peter Crouch, now one of the 100 club in the Premier League. Great stuff. Um, Good guy. Another Premier League legend we should probably discuss is Frank Lampard, Chris. Uh, retired today from professional football at the age of 38, I believe. Um, a lot of talk comparing him to Gerard, comparing him to Skulls today. And we've had the question come in on Twitter asking us, 
can we rank Lampard among the Premier League greatest? I personally think he's the best midfielder to play in the league ever. Now, it's not what? it's an interesting one, but I think what's even more interesting about Frank Lampard is the perception that perhaps he's underrated, Chris. We always compare him to Gerard, we always compare him to Skulls, and he invariably seems to come off worse compared to those two in most people's comparison, despite his record, despite the, the trophies that he's won uh, over the course of his career. He's better than Scotty Cannon. That that much is for sure. You're not um, wrong. You're not wrong. I, I think the thing is, I feel like they're very different midfielders, Lampard, Gerrard and Scholes. They had, they had very different roles as players. And I think... If you're going to just compare it off what they won, you would probably say Scholes is the best. You know, if you look at pure goals, it's possible to look past Lampard. Gerard arguably played with the more inferior group of players around him compared to the other two. So it again, it's it's much of a muchness in that sense. I think it's more pertinent and more relevant, at least, to to focus on the career that he had as a midfielder. And I think what you can say is, is during a period in which Chelsea went through massive change and, and really overhauled their squad in a dramatic way, he remained constant. And, you know, they were so quick to get rid of players that didn't perform, whether it was Scott Parker, uh, Mutu, Crespo, they all kind of came. And if, if it didn't sink straight away, and it didn't stay. And, he was the exception to that. He was, you know, he was signed from West Ham again. You know, maybe wasn't um, as as highly rated in terms of expectation to be a club legend when he arrived, if if not just a promising English midfielder with potential. But I think he did a fantastic job at, at Chelsea. He really did elevate them. And despite not having maybe the most successful uh, history himself because he was so young and had come from West Ham. He just seemed to have that champion's mentality. And I've been fortunate enough to to be closer to him when he was in New York and, and be around him and talk to teammates on and off the record. And you will struggle to find a bad word said about him, not just Frank Lampard, the player and his quality on the ball and, and finding spaces to score goals, but off the field as well, in terms of being able to, to give advice and, and wanting to help those around him, which let's be honest, it's not always the case with, with veteran players. Often they want to make sure that their spot's taken care of. They really don't care about those around them, but that's not the case with Lampard. He, he seems like he was not only a fantastic player, but a fantastic teammate too. Do you think Lawrence, I mean, stop me if I'm talking absolute rubbish, but um, I think with the head, you can make a very good case as to why uh, Lampard is one of the greatest Premier League midfielders all time above Gerald and Scholes. Potentially, you know, Chelsea's all time uh, goal scorer is one of the top scorers in the Premier League. I think he's fourth in the all time list despite being a midfielder. Um, I think he scored 20 plus goals for 10 consecutive seasons, which again, considering his, his position, is very uh, impressive. Do you think maybe, though, compared to those players that he is always compared with, there's a lack of connection with the heart? Do you know I mean, Liverpool fans obviously love Gerrard. He's a hero and a legend in Liverpool, having come from that, uh, having come from that area. Paul Scholes, somebody played for Manchester United his entire career. Obviously, there's that connection there with the supporters. You think maybe there's something lacking in terms of Frank Lampard and his legacy in that respect? Um, not really. I mean, I think he's he definitely comes like Kristen says. I think he comes across as a very genuine. Um, uh, part of a football team 
And I think a few people are questioning a more personal side to his life, but I don't know how much uh, business that is of anyone's. Um, it, you know, I, th- I actually think he, he does have a fairly good connection with the uh, Chelsea fans. You know, there's been plenty of great clips posted of him um, today on social media where he, um, you know, some of the players run to celebrate. I think they're in the Champions League final or they're in might be the Champions League final. They're in a final and watching a penalty shootout. And the goal goes in and instead of running off with the players, Frank Lampard turns around to the fans. Um, so, I, I no, I think uh, maybe he's not connected with the wider set of fans. But I, don't, I think Chelsea fans and a lot of other people would disagree. I think maybe, the, I know obviously know he's a Chelsea legend, but I was sort of talking in a more general sense, even though Gerard has obviously got his detractors. Um, I think logically you can make a case for Lampard, but I'm not sure if he had that impact almost on an intangible level with football fans just a perception just what do you want him to do mate i don't want to do anything i'm not necessarily saying i agree with that because for me um super goals for me you know if you're going to rank him i'd go gerard lampard skulls sorry dave um but i just (laughs) there just seems to be a general perception good one mate <laughs> and yet, it was, uh, I think it was Arrigo, Arrigo Saki that said that Gerard was a very good kind of footballer, but he didn't understand the game in the same way that Scholes and, and maybe Lampard did. Maybe you put Lampard top, Dave. What do you reckon of that? Absolutely not. Come on, Adam. Paul Scholes top, is I, would be te- I must admit, I'd be tempted to put Gerard at the, if I had to, at the back end because. Wonder, yeah. The way you look, and I only, and this is, it kind of leads off this, this, the Arigosaki point that as they got older, I think you saw Skulls and Lampard better um, than Gerard did. Now, that could be because his game was about being this all energy action midfielder, but I, I do think that Lampard and Skulls became cannier and smarter as they got older, whereas Gerard just didn't seem to have that. In the vault. I think that's a very Gerard. good point. A very good point. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, to put a defence forward for Gerard, then in that sense, I think Gerard is clearly the most athletic of those three midfielders, and clearly the most versatile of those three midfielders. Um, and you know, I mean, uh, Saki can say what he wants. I think there are a number of other midfielders in the world who sort of admire Gerard for what he did and uh, during that time. Um, you know, not least sort of Barcelona players. Um, who were at their peak at that time, AC Milan players who were at their peak at that time. And I think a lot of people, um, well, it's difficult to admire him sticking around at a club because really it doesn't look like he ever wanted to stick around at the club. You'd also say uh, they have to admire the fact that he he did sort of put his body completely on the line because he, in many ways, he felt like he had to rush about the pitch um, to make up for other players' deficiencies. But I also think part of that, you'd say maybe Gerard didn't trust the people around him enough. Um, and I think some of that got to him in the end. That's maybe part of the problem with Gerard himself as a captain is that he didn't let other people or didn't give other people the opportunity um, to to sort of um, to go out there and be be the players that they wanted to be. Because very often it was the Steven Gerrard show. It wasn't anyone else. And there are times where I've got to admit, I sort of wonder about the almost Dimitri Payet-esque effect of Steven Gerrard on Liverpool and whether uh, they would have been a more free club. It is interesting to, to consider that context, though, in terms of Lampard played in some of the greatest Premier League sides of all time, as did Paul Scholes. Yeah. Steven Gerrard potentially didn't. Um, no, he didn't. I, I mean, he, he played in he played in arguably one of, if not Liverpool's greatest side of the last 20 years. 
um, which, you know, ironically, I think won nothing. Uh, maybe an FA Cup, but they didn't win anything. They came second the, in the league. Yeah, but to point, yeah, um, but to, to, but you it, can point out his personal failings, but I think you should take into consideration that obviously football's a team game and there's other factors that affect a player's legacy like that. Yeah, like slipping over, right? On that note, uh, guys, it's obviously a very interesting conversation. We do want to hear your thoughts. Do tweet us at the front three. Obviously, it's all subjective, you know, so uh, do let us know what you think. But we can rank them objectively. But we will rank them objectively, uh, (laughs) you know, and we have. Uh, Let's move on to the questions, guys. It's why we are here. You've been getting them in on Twitter at the front three. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. First up, my favorite question this week has to be from the main man, Carlos Zaldafar. Fantastic question. If you could go back in time and watch any football match live, which game would it be and why? For me, it would be the 0405 Classico, the Ronaldinho hat-trick at the Bernabeu, to see Ronaldinho's magic that even made Madradistas applaud him. He was slightly early in my life, so I never got to truly watch him live in his prime. Heart emoji, football emoji, blue heart emoji. Great question, Carlos. Great answer to your own question as well. Um, what do we think, guys? If we could hop in our DeLorean, um, power it up to 88 miles an hour, travel back in time, and watch a football game, what would be our choice? The one that immediately springs to mind for me, potentially, would be to go and see... uh, Pele was playing for Santos. um, Famously scored potentially the greatest goal ever. People say, eyewitnesses say, this was back in the late 50s. Um, Apparently, you know, one, one of the greatest goals of all time, but of course there was no video, there was no one recording the game at the time, it's one of those goals that was famously recreated a few years ago um, by a special effects artist and people sort of putting that together is like a recreation of the goal. But to actually go back in time and see that goal in person, you know, the greatest goal ever scored, apparently. I think that would be uh, an interesting choice. Santos v Juventus, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I think, I'd, I think I'd go and check that one out. Chris, what do you say? I would... I'm trying to think... I would go and see Newcastle 5, Man United nil. Wow, he's gone for it. He has gone for it. 
balls to the wall, Chris. Do you not think one of those ones where, you know, maybe there, there wasn't footage of the game or maybe way back when, not something you could... Or you, you want to soak up the atmosphere. You want to be there, Chris. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I watched it on television, but I'd be, I would like... Because it was... I mean, it was chucking it down with rain too. It was nice. So, something like that. Something where it, it, it means something to me, I think, is... Um, Actually, no, I take it back, I take it back. This is so... Change everything. On, uh, I want to see Frank Lampard's penalty against Liverpool in the Champions League. Why do you want to see that? Why? Um, because that was the, the week he lost his mum. And it was one of the most emotional things I've ever watched on television. And I can imagine it was electric that night. Because I, I remember it's an image that's burned into my brain of him scoring the, the penalty, running to the corner, and you can just see him break down at what he's been through, and and just the, I think it was so many emotions in one. That to me is yeah, that's that's football. That very yeah. good answer. You just have to stand with all the Chelsea fans. Very good cool. answer, uh, Lawrence. I assume you're not going to pick the same moment. Yeah, I mean, it probably was a great moment. Um, I'd probably go, to be honest, Istanbul probably wasn't one of them for me. Uh, it was a great night, and I imagine it was fantastic to witness live. Um, maybe you want to go back to, I'd love to go back to the 60s, maybe go back to somewhere like Anfield or back to somewhere like Wembley where, you know, there was a very different kind of crowd and uh, see what the atmosphere was like then. Maybe witness Liverpool's promotion from the second division in the 60s under uh, Bill Shankly. That would be, a, I think, probably a, an emotional moment for Liverpool. I like that. It's sort of killing two and birds at one stone. You sort of know the turning point as well. That's kind of the point. I wonder what it felt like back then, because obviously you don't know, you know, obviously you don't know what happens in the next 30 years. You don't know what incredible um, paving slabs are being laid down in Liverpool. Though it probably is crazy paving if it's in Liverpool. <laughs> well said um, Dave what is your choice it's a simple one um, the 1968 European Cup final at Wembley um, so Matt Busby building United the Busby Babes you know all that shebang you see Eusebio as well one of the greatest forwards ever I think that's got to be that one it's, it's quite an easy one for me I like it I think it's a great question I think they will great answers there guys let us know what you would travel back in time which game you'd want to go and see at the front free on twitter uh carlos fantastic question very interesting um next question is from at tripat 171 thoughts on the suarez and messi goals against atleti yesterday um yeah they were they were very decent Adam, you watched one. You watched Messi's goal back. Just I did watch Suarez's goal. Um, oh right, okay. Big, because it's very question. I hadn't actually seen the game, but I mean, yeah, they're really good goals. I don't have much uh, analysis. Gary would have been proud. That is great analysis. Gary would be proud of those ones. Um, the next question is from King Mick. How can United fix their conversion rate in front of goal? That whole game was excruciating. Training ground. Paul Pogba. Um, David De Gea I reckon maybe two hours after every training session this week Paul Pogba has to work on his 1v1 finishing 
And I think United would... That's I think simple. there's been a few games this season where Pogba's gone clean through one-on-one and bottled it. So that's what I do to try and fix it in the short term, in the long term. Of course, it's signing Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid. Two simple solutions there. <laughs> Not going to cost you much. Yeah, well, <laughs> only the odd uh, 85 million. Um, I've, got, I've actually got a question for you, Dave. I saw a stat on the official Premier League <laughs> Twitter <laughs> account uh, yesterday. It said yes. that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has missed the most big chances in the Premier League this season. Oh, could you explain that as a quantifiable statistic to me? What does what does that mean, big chances? Or are you as as so bewildered when as I am? Opta assign a chance created to an event, it either gets the value key pass, which is a pass that leads to a shot on goal, or a assist, which is a pass that leads to a goal. Um, a big chance is one of the qualifiers attached to one of those events. So a big chance is quantified where I think it's something like the you know the striker or if the forward or whoever's got the ball has a big chance to score the goal deemed by the opt analyst. So I think what it obviously means is that Zlatan has been missing a few chances. But if you think about the games that, or the amount of times Paul Pogba, uh, more specifically, has slid Zlatan through and he's choked, it is quite a lot this season. But Zlatan isn't the only one to blame. I think United have been massively misfiring, especially in midfield. I think the stats I looked at today, which uh, tweeted out, were quite interesting, where only Sunderland and Southampton had scored fewer shots on target than Manchester United. So United have got the third worst conversion rate of shots on target. That's quite an interesting one, because shots on target do directly... There is a correlation with shots on target to wins. Um, That's what betters, a lot of professional gamblers use to... Uh, predict results is the amount of shots on target they can predict the team's going to get so if United are missing shots on target for me it kind of feels like a little bit poor finishing then you look at the plot of where United's um, shots have gone in a goal you can kind of see that it's a lot it's too central they need to be finding the corners more to improve that chance conversion and that's just something that either it's a thing they're never going to improve with some of these players like Juan Mata yesterday has to score that goal with the experience and with the, you know, with the amount of time that he's played football and so forth he has to score that goal three yards out he's got to put that in the back of the net so I think it's a thing with United that they need to work on it and they've obviously not been working on it hard enough yet so you know players like Paul Pogba need to do some extra training That's why they call you the stat man mate um, 85 shots at home versus the three promoted sides this season Manchester United have scored just two goals Clinical. Very clinical. Um, Chris, this one is definitely for you. Oscari Kajava. Kajava, what do you think about Atlanta United? They're doing a really good job of building a team. Um, they've got their third DP in Josef Martinez of Torino. Um, he's Venezuelan. And I think I'm right in saying that means all three of their DPs are under 23. Um, they've added some uh, more experienced guys, Chris McCann's in there. But overall, it's quite a young-looking team. Andrew Carlton, who's uh, quite highly thought of American prospect, is in there. And Tata Martino is the coach. So the the excitement levels are quite high for Atlanta United in the debut season. You, you can never really gauge how an expansion side is going to do because there's a lot of intangibles to consider you know how does the team gel you know is there a point where they burn out in the first season but you look at that squad that they've got now and you have to think there's going to be weekends where they are nigh unplayable um because you've got kenwin jones in there you've got miguel almaron uh 
Martinez that we touched on there as well. So it's a it's a well built squad, and and honestly, I've 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 had the privilege of having a chat with Carlos Bocanegra, who's the sporting director, and the plans seem very well laid out, which is always a great sign. So yeah, good luck to them. Good luck to them. James Turner says, "Are words like mentality and desire just easy but meaningless ways of criticizing teams and players, or are they valid criticism?" Lawrence McKenna. Um, <clears throat> I think mentality to other things. Desire. I mean, mentality certainly is um, illusion to a wider thing. I think very often it's, and I think uh, someone else we've had on the podcast, Nico Morella, Nick Morellas, um, sort of breaks this down in quite a few of his tweets when he sort of says, you know, pundits use certain words as maybe synonyms for uh, wider concepts. And I think when I say the word mentality, you know what I'm getting at within a football team. Um, and it's sort of shorthand for me having to explain a very um, details, detailed or nuanced version of something which I'm, I'm, I'm sort of using it as shorthand because I know I, I'm assuming that you're all up to date with what mentality means within a squad and that you're kind of on at least nodding terms with what Man City's mentality is. Um, I think sometimes it can be used in a lazy way because some people sort of go, well, they don't have the right mentality um, or, you know, they've got the wrong mentality. I think when it's used in a binary um, sentence, then it's probably wrong. But you, you can definitely use it as part of your analysis. And I think a lot of, I mean, even Arsene Wenger sort of alludes to that. Um, although you would argue that even he can sort of um, use that to distract the press. And it makes it very easy to write headlines. So no, I don't think it's wrong. I just think uh, some people use it in the wrong way. I don't think everyone does. Yeah. Interesting one. Interesting one. Jo I mean, John, John from Wilson uses it all the time. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that's a quantified use of the word mentality. <laughs> Next question is from Trill RV, Mr. Herve on Twitter. Thank you for your question. Mr. Herve. Why does the English media discredit young players if jesus is good enough aguero should be benched the future is now uh says true <laughs> well said um oh, I three of the title tracks from asap rocky's new album <laughs> now at first i thought he was referring to uh the routine uh bashing of raheem sterling in the english press but he's actually nope. talking about jesus uh i haven't seen anything to discredit him, all I've seen is uh, lauding, to be honest. Do you think he's sort of saying that because um, the, the focus is not on him, that, um, the, you know, that it's on Aguero for not being in the team, that for some reason that is... Um, Maybe. Know. But everyone's just been like, wow, this kid is, this kid is decent. This guy's good. Oh, Aguero's been benched. Oh, okay, interesting. You know, it's not discrediting him. Um, Trill, I mean, please tweet us with some clarification here because I'm struggling. I'm, I'm overlooking something, I think. Yeah, I've, um, I've, read a, I've read a lot of things recently and especially read um, and had a lot of meetings with people who've been talking about how on the continent uh, people, they, they believe the analysis on TV is actually better and that the analysis in the papers is better uh, than in the UK. Um do you, anyone else out there on the podcast sort of think that the the English analysis is not very good tactically? 
Depends who it is, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, this is what I was sort of thinking is there's a there's a thriving Twitter scene where it's sort of very, uh, very rampant, uh, but maybe it's less so in the mainstream print media. Gonzalo Golazzo, great name, wants to know who you got in Super Bell, Super Bell, Super Bowl, Super Bell, L.I. I've got Lady Gaga. Yeah. Who who is doing the halftime show? Is it is Lady Gaga? Well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought you were plucking names out. Wow, you're like, quick wow. on the uptake. <laughs> I was like, obviously, Lawrence doesn't know who is performing at halftime in the Super Bowl. He does. Sure. Fair play. Um, it's the New England Patriots versus the Atlanta Falcons. I'm putting my money and heart behind the Atlanta Falcons because I heard the word Atlanta a few minutes ago. I've based it on that. So go Falcons. Um, go Falcons. <laughs> Anyone anyone got the Patriots? Anyone going for that? Nah. It's all about Atlanta, mate. All about them. I've I used to, when it. I was into NFL, I liked Atlanta Falcons. They had Michael Vick as their quarterback, and he was some fella that just used to, <laughs> instead of throwing it, he'd just run it and beat like 10 players, and he was sick and stuff. And then he got done for dogfighting, so I kind of thought, yeah. Yeah. is NFL really for me? I like how you based it on that. Um, I think NFL is actually a very good sport to watch. Great spectator yeah. sport. I enjoy watching it. Um, but over here, you unfortunately, Spencer sponsored by them. No, no, I genuinely, you know, I've actually got uh, a bunch of the Madden football games. You know, that's how much Madden, I. You should, can I you teach like us it. anything about? I mean, I mean, I've got the most basic talk knowledge. Talk to us about the imagine. shotgun, mate. Uh, what's a? Sh- I, I, like I just said, I have the most basic knowledge imaginable. I couldn't even tell you what a shotgun is. Could you? Are you good in the pocket? Uh, <laughs> in many ways. Um, the thing is, though, the Super Bowl, I believe. Over here, start it will start like midnight or something. And On it is Sunday, a <laughs> it's a school night. You know, can I really stay up for four hours and yep. watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, okay, cool. We we will 100%. stay up. Are we going to stay up and watch the Super Bowl? A Google live Google. stream Super Bowl from That's, why don't one, we do? why don't one we, guy yeah, with an extremely basic knowledge and a couple with less. Than <laughs> it's that. a try. They've scored wow. a goal. <laughs> we could try and tactically analyze a game we have no real tactical concept of. <laughs> Maybe I've watched a bit can... in my time, to be fair, but I don't think I'm an expert. Do you think we can work it out in one night based on the Super Bowl final? Yeah, And that should be. be our first ever live stream. can it really be? I'm, I'm sensing a live stream, mate. I'm sensing views. You tell, no, you tell a live stream, Super Bowl live stream, mate. Watch along. Lads, I'll, I'll give you American accents. Let the views roll in, lads. Have you got it, it, Adam? American accent? Because we need to pretend to be American to get more views. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Super Bowl live stream. Patriots versus the Falcons. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Lawrence, go. Certainly different. I'll give you that. Lawrence, American accent. No, American. I'm, not, Dave, I'm not partaking in that. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Ayush at Silver KDB underscore MCFC. He is a City fan. In case you can tell. Should... Pep Guardiola look to replace Claudio Bravo in the summer, or does he deserve another chance? If not, which goalkeeper should we go for? Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on this one. Which keeper should they go for? <laughs> See, the, Brave the, the only Joe thing Hart, that... maybe? No. I think, I think just because Bravo isn't doing well doesn't mean that Joe Hart is the solution. I think that's a little bit black and white thinking. Um... The thing is that's concerned me about Bravo, I read a really good piece by David Priest in which he deconstructed Bravo's goalkeeping approach. And one of the piece. things 
He is, yeah. He's a, a really uh, talented pundit, is there. I think he should have a lot more opportunities than he than he has at the minute. But one of the things he talked about was that uh, Bravo keeps his hands quite close to his body, and he believes that's because in futsal, that's how you kind of talk to goalkeeper. Um, changing little things like that could make a huge amount of difference, but they could also be difficult for a goalkeeper as experienced as Bravo, who is, I imagine, to a degree, set in his ways. In terms of which goalkeeper you then go and buy, I have to confess, there's not really a, a number of goalkeepers that have stood out to me this year that aren't at top clubs already. And that's what you're looking to try and do. You're maybe wanting to buy a, a young prospect like Thibaut Courtois with, with Chelsea many years ago or someone that's already established and looking to move on like they did with Bravo and struggling to see i can't imagine larice would would move internally like that um if not for a huge vast amount of money maybe keep an eye on jordan pickford if Sunderland go down um but yeah honestly it's it's not something that's jumping out to me in terms of a ready solution so if our listeners have any i'm i'm always eager to hear it because we have such a uh, not only knowledgeable but wide varying listener base who watch so much football so yeah by all means chuck some names in and, and let's uh let's see what we can come up with i like it crowdsourcing the answer to the question it, it's it's the future uh shane o'donnell 95 says with chelsea on course to win the league with a free four three and leicester having success last year with a four four two which formation dave is going to win the league next year well, Adam, I think it might move back to the 4-2-3-1 system with Antoine Griezmann at Manchester United. It's going to score lots of goals, so I feel that system's going to really make him move back into modern football. With the 4-3-3 being popular in the Champions League, the 4-2-3-1 will come back and will evolve and will destroy some teams. What was going on? Wow, who was that? Who was that, is the question. It certainly wasn't Dave. Um... Next Good question. Good to have you on the show, Kartik. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, Osbert Moore, um, a Ferrero Rocher fan. Osbert Moore, how much game time do you see Welbeck getting for Arsenal now he is fit, but admittedly competing with the likes of Alexis, Giroud and Perez? What do you make of this, Lawrence? Because Welbeck coming back, I mean, we spoke about midweek, fantastic finishing against Southampton in the Cup. Alexis, he's starting. I mean, he is the, the heartbeat of this team. Giroud, again, he's got his detractors, especially after that game against Watford. And Perez, uh, despite some good performances and some good flourishes, I mean, he absolutely hammered the bar against Watford, very close to, to drawing them level in that game. Doesn't seem to be uh, favoured necessarily by Arsene Wenger. I think Welbeck in the second half of the season, I think he could see some game time. Maybe he could make the difference for Arsenal Lawrence. I think you've answered your own question. I think um, he, you know, in the second half of the season, you need some squad depth. Um, you need to be able to rotate players in and out. Players are going to be getting tired at that point in the season. Welbeck is relatively fresh um, mm. compared to the rest of the squad coming off the back of an injury. And I think he'll be a, a very important part of the squad come the end of the season because I think he brings great combination play with other players. He's a very considerate uh, forward in that sense. Um, works very well in a lot of intricate moves, which is another thing that Arsenal have maybe been lacking, and that's why they've gone for more direct play more recently. Um, and I think, he, yeah, I think he he will uh, come in handy, even if he's not going to finish off those moves. I think he's going to be an important part of them because I think Welbeck is 
uh, was bought by Arsene Wenger for a reason. I think it's his intricate interplay, which he offers not only on the edge of the box, but maybe also a little bit further out wide. Um, I think he does work as a forward that maybe some other strikers in the team don't like Giroud. Um, and I think that's the reason Wenger bought Perez for a very similar reason. This is a tasty question from the class of 92. Best Champions League final in your lifetime. Um, Dave, I guess. One answer, one answer only. Yeah, that I feel one, like Lawrence and Dave, yeah. uh, they might have different answers, but I feel like I know what the answers are going to be. Lawrence, go one is an actual, One's an actual achievement. Yeah, yeah. And one is uh, just a bit crap. Um, Dave? It, What's your answer? Well, out of my five favorite oh, final in recent Champions League history, is going to be Barcelona versus Juventus. What a game of soccer that was. Kill me. I mean, I was going to suggest that myself. I'm surprised that you went for that one, but fair play. Um, well, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> it went. It went. Uh, Lawrence, what are you saying? Just for those who, who may not know. In our lifetime, I think you probably, mm. in terms of drama, you're probably going to go for uh, Istanbul. Uh, I was actually a big fan in, of the 2011 final as well, you know, when Barcelona beat Manchester United. The kind of the peak, peak Barcelona in a way. Ah, uh, bro, peak was in 2013-14. Interesting, very interesting. Um, Chris, greatest Champions League final of your lifetime probably Istanbul to be fair yeah I mean it's hard it's hard to see past that in a way there's been some great ones there has been some great ones um here is another question from Pipo please at Violet Citizen first it's a two-part question and then not really related maybe they are first up on current form which three teams do you see going down i think for me it's sunderland it's gonna be hull and leicester are in the conversation now but i think that's really tough because swansea have started to to find their rhythm a little bit too Two wins now, back-to-back wins. I'm going to go for Hull, Sunderland, and Swansea. I'm going to go for Swansea. Hull, Sunderland, Swansea. Uh, Chris? I'm going to go with the same as you. Lawrence, do you disagree and agree? Um, I mean, Palace is there. Two points above Palace, who are currently 18th, are Leicester and Swansea. They're on equal points at the moment, Leicester and Swansea. Uh, champions go down I mean surely not be funny wouldn't it I don't know um, I don't know if it would be funny I'd feel kind of sad for, for Leicester well, you'd also feel very happy for Leicester um, <laughs> they can win another uh, league next season eh? I'd rather Swansea didn't go down um, no I don't want them to go down but you know difficult very difficult I, I think it uh, the, the problem is it really takes the wheels off Palace but then there's so many teams you don't want to go down there. Um, you, you know what? I think Big Sam will probably save them and it probably will be Swansea or Leicester that end up going down. I think the Leicester side have completely lost their um, team mentality, Adam. They have indeed. Uh, I think among Leicester other things, 18. Definitely their mentality. Uh, wow. You you think Leicester are going down? You've, you've made the call. Dave? 
Leicester, Hull City, and Sunderland, Red and White Sox. Really? Leicester going down, Dave? I think so, Adam. You, I can't he's, tell. He's persisting with this till the end of the podcast. Just to say it. Who or... is this? It's definitely not Dave because that, that is 100% authentic American accent. There's no putting that on. Are you Dave's American? Oh. Yes, Statman Steve. Jesus. Right out of Detroit, America. <laughs> Detroit with that accent. Wow. Can't tell if he's having a breakdown or a stroke at this point. Both at the same time, I think. Steve, uh, thank you for subbing in for, for Dave. Pleasure to have you. Um, there's a question for you here, Steve, as soon as you're a stat man yourself. Uh, is Gilfie Sigurdsson free kick conversion rate better than Messi's? Well, Adam, in the last three really seasons of soccer, Gilfie Sigurdsson has converted 14% of his free kicks compared to Messi, which is around 8% of his free kicks. So, in fact, Adam... <laughs> Gilfie Sigurdsson won. Lionel Messi nil. Wow. If you were truly American, you might have said zero there, Steve. The mask <laughs> is slipping. <laughs> no, Adam Oliver. <laughs> I'm afraid to say. Um, just in time for a, a really good question, which we probably need Dave in the room for and not Steve. The Shining Ocean says, what are your thoughts on Hakan Kalanoglu's four-month ban? This could seriously damage Leverkusen's already not particularly great season. Now, Dave, for context, can you please explain why he has received uh, this four-month ban? So, Colloglu uh, was at Karlsruhe as a youth player. Um, and then, in fact, I think he'd signed a contract with uh, Transport. And then he moved to Hamburg. Um, didn't go to Turkey. Went to Germany, uh, north of Germany. And then moved to Leverkusen after that move. So the issue is that his contract in Turkey was actually valid and it's taken three years nearly to get this through the courts. I think it's at the uh, CAAS. And they finally ruled that it was illegal. So he's been banned till the end of the season. What I think it means for Leverkusen is they will potentially have to replace him. He's been pretty decent uh, from November onwards. He's been you know, part of this Leverkusen side, resurgent Leverkusen. So... It's going to be a bit of a problem for them to to replace him in the side. Obviously, uh, Julian Brandt has been fantastic this season and has taken a lot of the attacking impetus. But yeah, he's, someone like uh, Volan potentially could come in um, or they could change their system up and just go with a, a single striker or play Keesling. So it's a lot of questions um, for the manager, but it could be an interesting time for them. Is it harsh, harsh on both the player and the club, Chris? We had uh, Rudy Voller the Leverkusen sports director coming out earlier this week saying the club cannot com cannot comprehend the decision. Um, feels like the club is being punished when they had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, actually. I think the fact it's taken, what, six years to reach this point is, is quite concerning as well. Um, I can imagine that Travis and Spore are still mightily annoyed and, and they probably don't see it as a as an unjust punishment, the fact he's going to miss four months. Um, again, I think he's got a hundred thousand euro fine in there as well. So you could maybe ramp the fine up a bit more, but then, you know, you would argue that if Leverkusen signed him, they must've known that this was an ongoing case. I can't imagine it was hidden in the, in the shadows. So I guess it was a, a risk that they thought was worth taking when they signed him. It's it's a very messy situation from start to finish, to be to be frank. Final question this week. 
to bring an end to the Thursday Q&A podcast is from Alex Sanchez with a really tough one, a really interesting one. At SNZAlex13, thank you for your question. Pie or cake? It's a tough, cake. tough decision for some. Not Lawrence McKenna, who's gone straight for cake. What type of cake, Lawrence? What's your favourite cake? It's a classic chocolate cake, Adam. Yeah. Classic chocolate cake? Classic chocolate cake with a layer of jam in the middle. Raspberry jam. What the hell are you talking about? Chocolate cake with jam in the middle? Yeah. Hipster, isn't it? Mental, mate. Not hipster, mate. I've been having it since I was a kid. Can you buy that in shops? Because I've never had that before and I don't want it either. There's something wrong with you guys. Of course you can buy that in shops. Jam Come in on. a chocolate cake. Jam. Are you talking about like a, a perverted Victoria sponge or something? What's going on here? There's, no, there's nothing perverted about it, Adam. And the, the, reason, the way <laughs> your brain's turning into a perverted thing is... That's I your do own like... Problem. The thing is, I've never had a chocolate cake with jam in the middle myself. I had a Victoria sponge cake, you know, great cake. Um, Black Forest Gatto cake, you know. Is that what you're sort of talking about, Lawrence? That's no. a good cake. Um, pies, though. I'm not a big fan of pies. Name a great pie. Can't. Do you know what I mean? Uh, apple pie. Actually, to be fair, apple pie is pretty good. Mm. Is it great, though? Do you know what I mean? It's good. Is it great? Yeah, it's great. Fair enough. Not as good uh, as crumble, though. That's the that thing. And that's not a pie. The, the game. Crumble is, is an absolute delight in the, in the mouth. Uh, pie. That's not a pie. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. A pie, you can't even attribute the deliciousness of an apple crumble to a pie, what's a great pie? Apple crumble's better than apple pie. Where's the great mm. dessert pies out there? They're not, they don't exist. Do you know what I'm saying? But then, Pumpkin pie, but Adam, the Americans will say. Steve might say. He's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Because this could be a savoury versus sweet debate. You know, no. you can get a good pie. No. You know, a chicken pie, meat and potato pie, any type of pie that has got some sort of deliciousness in versus a cake that's sweet you know there's this is a bigger question Adam. this isn't that we, we can't solve this in 10 minutes i think he's strictly talking dessert is it dessert though? function of these particular vessels of of food right gone we need chris to come down one side or the other that's what i'm waiting for uh, fruit cake, pie chocolate cake but chocolate do you have jam in the middle chris no, I don't know where that's come from. Weird, isn't it? Um, if you've had jam in a chocolate cake, do you let us know on Twitter at the front free. Uh, I'd be surprised if one person says they have. I think that's just you, Lawrence. You got some weird cakes, mate. Weird cakes. Uh, Bonoffi pie is a great pie, actually. To be fair, that's a pretty good pie. Um, let us know where you come down on this timeless debate: pie or cake? On Twitter at the front three. For now, though, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you listening to us. It's been a pleasure to be here alongside you guys. Dave, where can the good people find you before Monday when we'll be back with the weekend review? YouTube Friday, the front free. Well, I think we might be able to find me there. Really? That is an intriguing little tease. And of course, they can see you on Saturday live. Isn't that correct? Live, yeah. Make sure you tune in to Slash Football. It's going to be awesome. You do not want to miss it, believe me. Um, Chris, where can the good people find you before Monday? Uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E and Lawrence McKenna when you're not eating chocolate jam cake where can you be I'm not eating ages mate uh, at Lowe's <laughs> Cost L-O-Z-C-A-S-T what about the chocolate cake 
<laughs> I would like to know where to find that because uh, it's interesting. I I'll think... bake it for you. Oh, please do. That would actually be a delight. That sounds That'd ominous. Um, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Bolter. Do go check out the front three on YouTube as well. We're going to be back on Monday with a little. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Cheeky scout report. You know, one of them. So tune in. Until Monday, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the football and we'll see you soon.